rock solid WFA. Wait a minute. No, 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 no. That, that was, that was 30 years ago. Let's try that again. Welcome to the Gen X Mixtape, a nostalgic podcast dedicated to the art of making mixtapes and the Gen Xers who made them. This is part one of our 1991 episode where Alan and I will be curating side A of a mixtape celebrating the music of our graduation year and our freshman year of college. And it seems like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? Remember those days? WFAL is where Alan and I got our broadcast uh, start our freshman year, and uh, we had several shows that may we might talk about it here and there. We won't bore you with the details because... It's like home movies, right? It's really only special to us. Yeah. But uh, we figured we would take a retrospective look at not only a year that was so pivotal for us as the transition from high school to college, but really a very transitional year for popular music in general. Oh, yeah. Uh, the musical landscape, it, it, there, there was a, you know, a very just unexpected transition uh, and, and you see it in the music uh, the way that we have um, chosen our songs now if we have to go to our alternate lists it, it's not going to play out quite so well but but you know you and I talked and side a these are all going to be songs from uh, the the winter and spring of 1991 they will be songs we remember from our senior year of high school and then side B when we flip the cassette it, it, it's going to be summer and our freshman year the fall of freshman year at bowling green state university so yeah the music it's very uh, there's some overlap sure of course but I, you, of you course. know it's not that music sounds in, in entirely different from one side to the next but you know just you know seattle that music scene from seattle it changed everything it changed the zeitgeist it yeah, really it did it really did um but no this is our this is our 30th uh, year, our 30th high school reunion year. And uh, sadly, it looks like our 30th reunion is going to be actually held on our 31st year from from graduation, um, simply because of COVID and venue issues and the like. But um, hopefully, maybe some of our graduating class will, will listen in and, and these memories will come back and, and you know, it'll mean something to them as well. We could just talk about them for two hours. We could, we could just talk we could, about everybody. Yeah. <laughs> we could. We're going to stick to the music, folks. Um, question. How well do you remember 1990, the year mm. itself? You know, it's funny. I was just realizing lately, uh, actually specifically this morning in one particular instance, that, um, and maybe this is just a getting older thing. I hope it is, because otherwise I should probably be checked. But um, time is really, like, slippery in, in my memory now. It's like um, in the Dark Tower, right? Where like the world has moved on and, and time is, is just really funny because something will pop up and I'm like, oh, yeah, that was just a couple of years ago. And I'll find out it was 15 years ago. Yep. Oh, just yeah. this morning, my wife reminded me of something and I'm like, oh, man, that had to have been like, you know, 10 years ago. And she's like, you know, it was like three years ago. And, and I actually argued with her and she was completely right, of course. And I can't believe that that seemed like it was so long ago and it was only three. Yeah, no, I, I do the same thing. I still think the 90s were 10 years away, you know, 10, 10 years ago. And the early 2000s and the 90s, I mean, they, they blend together in my mind. Now, I, I don't have those issues with the 80s. I mean, the 80s and before, I am very, very self-aware of what happened when. But you're right. Something happened uh, 
you know, as as we grew older, and it's it, it's kind of mind numbing that we are so clueless <laughs> at pinpointing when specific events took place. You know, I, I did look up though a number of um, facts about 1991, and many of these I remembered, some I did not. Um, January 26th, that was the day that Iraqi forces intentionally dumped oil into the Persian Gulf. Remember that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, in an attempt to prevent U.S. forces from landing on the beaches of Kuwait. And then, five weeks later, February 28th, President Bush announced that the ceasefire had been reached and the five-week Gulf War was over. Uh, Kuwait was declared free. The Iraqi army had been defeated. So that Gulf War, I remember our senior year, there were so many people worried the draft would return and... Uh, yeah, five weeks is all it took. Well, the, the the memory I have specifically on that particular instance was um, we would play trivia, which is still around today. You, oh, you go is. to a bar and you play yeah. trivia on the screen. Absolutely. It's pretty novel back in 1991. Uh, and there was a place, a Max and Irma's. Um, so if you're from Ohio, you're familiar with Max and Irma's. And they had four large screens. Now, today that seems like four screens, right? right. Sports bars have, have 30 or 40. But back then you had these four large projection screens. And it was so strange because on one screen we're playing trivia. On the next screen was the football game. On the next you know, screen was, uh, I don't know, some documentary or whatever they would put on. And then there's the Iraq war. Like we're actually watching the war. So it was strange enough that we were watching these bombs, you know, drop live. But then we were just kind of sitting there in the comfort of the sports bar playing trivia. It was very surreal. Yeah. I, you know, Wolf Blitzer looked like his life was in danger and we were just ordering drinks. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, it was, it was, it, it, was, it, it was, was very bizarre. surreal. Um, yeah. 1991, Eastern Airlines and Pan American World, they both folded their wings. Uh, 54 tornadoes apparently swept across six Midwestern states in just one day. In 1991, uh, the authorities, they caught serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer, who confessed to killing 17 young men. Also from Ohio. uh, Yeah, he was from Ohio. (laughs) Not too far from Uh, here. No. uh, The Dow topped 3,000 for the first time that year. Uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken changed its name to KFC. The Dollar Tree was founded. TV Guide published its 2000th issue, and Bounty coined the slogan, Quicker Picker Upper. That was all 1991. Uh, 60 Minutes was the most popular TV show. Terminator 2 Judgment Day was the highest grossing film. Dances with Wolves won the Oscar for Best Picture. Chairs won an Emmy for Outstanding Comedy Series. Um, The Bulls were NBA champs. The Giants won the Super Bowl. The Twins won the World Series. The Penguins clinched the Stanley Cup. Uh, That was the year that Chuck Noll retired as the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Inflation was 4.2%. A new Ford Explorer cost under 16000 Unemployment averaged 5.6%. Uh, the average life expectancy was 75.37 years. Michael and Ashley were the most popular baby names. Um, molten chocolate cake was the new trend. It was the popular American dessert. Now you find them everywhere. Platform shoes and parachute pants were all the rage. Salsa sales surpassed ketchup sales for the first time. Uh, 1991 was the year that Dr. Seuss passed away. The World Wide Web was launched to the public. Microsoft.com went online. And probably most notable, by the end of 91, the Soviet Union was dissolved. So, Well, you know, 
based on those headlines, what simpler times, my goodness. Yeah. It, if you were to put the headlines of the last two years, it's going to sound a lot more like the late 60s. Yeah, um, absolutely. I don't think we realized it was kind of a golden era of peace and prosperity. Not for everybody. Of course, obviously, there were people suffering and there were all sorts of uh, parts of our society that we are still working on. Uh, so it's not like the issues we're dealing with now are new. It just seemed like uh, at that time they were suppressed yeah. um, and um, everything was, was somewhat calm. No, but yeah. uh, it's good that we're dealing with them now finally, hopefully maybe for the last time, whatever. <laughs> uh, you're being a little too yeah, optimistic yeah, 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 on that yeah, one. Yeah. But, but you're right. I mean, you look at today's headlines and we are living in a dystopia, <laughs> right? But 1991, I mean, it, really everything was optimistic. I mean, it was hopeful. The Soviet Union was gone, you know. Democracy was, was uh, you know, the champion of the world. And, you know, I'm looking at these headlines. There's, yeah, there's nothing here that would lead to despair. I mean, there's no nothing sullen or morose. It, it's just a very, it was. It was a very golden time. I mean, you're right. Again, I, on the surface. Right. Yeah. You know, we could get into all sorts of, you know, people that were represented. Oh, uh, well, people that could always, not be who they wanted always. to be. Sure. So we're just kind of having fun with the fact that, yeah, I mean, it, it, we weren't bombarded with, every single night with 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 riots and, and, and unrest. But again, it, it's not a bad thing that we're finally dealing with these issues. And when we have growing pains as a country is when we progress and we become better. So it's kind of like when people are nostalgic for the 1950s, you know. Uh, yeah, you can be nostalgic for the movies and the music. and But, you know, right. <laughs> there are a lot of people in the society oh, that yeah. would not necessarily say they're nostalgic for that time. So no. I just want to throw that out there as we understand that um, it was not a perfect time and uh, probably a lot more, quote, perfect in our memories than, than it actually oh, absolutely. was. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, when you think of, you know, adolescence in the 50s, you know, and... and all the teen movies that are set during that time period, you know, you never see the Little Rock Nine represented right, as an right. example. I mean, yeah, right. you're, you're you're absolutely right. So I don't want to put a bummer on your nostalgia. No, no, no. no. I, <laughs> I just wanted to. I just feel like no, you're keeping I had it real. That, you're uh, keeping it right. Well, this is the thirtieth. This is supposed to be a fun episode, right? But. Well, this is the thirtieth reunion, and things yeah. have changed yep. in thirty years. My next question, very yeah. very quickly, because I know our our listening audience wants us to begin, but. What do you remember about high school, our senior year? Um, it's all sketchy in, in my memory, and I'm sure it's like has been revisionist in my head. What I do remember probably didn't quite happen the way it happened, um, but of course I remember hanging out with my close friends. I remember the teachers that I that I liked and enjoyed their their classes, and um, I remember, you know, it's that feeling of you have your whole life ahead of you, and everything's kind of a blank slate. And you know, unfortunately, based on how you're raised or where you're raised, there's also a bit of you know some limitations that I think at least I had in my mind that I look back and say, those weren't limitations, you know? Right. Um, you know, and, and so I don't want to get into this because I'm very happy with my life and I wouldn't change a thing. But you think sometimes that old adage of, man, if I knew what I knew now, oh. um, going back, things might be a little bit different. But when I'm happy with the way my life went, that would be a foolish choice to make. It would, yeah. I, I, I think back in much the same way. You know, I wish that I had the confidence then that I do now. I wish that... I had that laissez-faire attitude then that I have now. Uh, you know, I, I was so self-conscious and I was so, you know, inse very insecure all all the way through high school. I, you know, I had insecurities and, yeah, I mean, it would be a totally different experience if I had the mindset and, and the life lessons then. But I wouldn't change my life now for 
for anything. So you're you're absolutely right on that. Well, you know, if we're getting to the music, 1991 was it was actually surprisingly because I wasn't sure what to expect as I went through. It was a good year for music. I mean, you had some of the top 40 hits that, you know, frankly, I cannot listen to anymore. Uh, or then. <laughs> <laughs> or then, yeah. I, I'm not in any hurry to hear Groove is in the Heart, you know. But, but <laughs> uh, Okay. Oh, is that anyway. one of your choices? Anyway, that might be my first pick. <laughs> oh, Dave. <laughs> well, I, I would have uh, taken you for... Uh, anyway, we'll, we'll get into it when we get to that song. Okay, Which fair would enough. be very soon. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my gosh. What you, I did not think you would go there. Um, no. It, I, I mean, at CNC Music Factory, I can see that. MC Hammer, I can see that. But Delight was incredible. Anyway, okay. Go. And this coming from the guy who just last week told the world he refuses to dance. So I'm... Okay, I can like... I, but I also, in that same episode, that I like European dance music. Well, that's true. So That's true. I, I will give you that. All right. Well, we have uh, probably bored... Yeah, we're, we're off, we've run out of time, folks. We'll <laughs> so have to we will talk see you about next the week. music next week. Um, now, okay. I'm, let's get started. It's my turn to go first. We are on side A. Okay. And my first selection this week is by the Black Crows. It comes from the album Shake Your Money Maker. And it was actually released. Now, we're playing kind of loose with 1991 here. Okay. Or at least I am. I'll, I'll admit that. Well, didn't we say uh, if it was in the top? Well, it doesn't have to be, have been on the top 100 right. singles of 1991. But if it were released prior to 1991. Yes. As long as the majority of its charting success or part of it didn't have the charted but you know what I mean oh yeah no exactly people associate with that year if it came out in December of 1990 I mean right and and you know and, and that's exactly what's what's happening here uh, Shake Your Money Maker was a 1990 release um, it's well let me let me take a step back the Black Crows they, they formed in Marietta Georgia in 84 uh, their discography includes eight studio albums four live albums and several charting singles uh, the band was signed to Deaf American Recordings in 89, and they released their debut album, Shake Your Money Maker, as I said, the following year in 1990. Uh, the song that I'm going with, and it should be fairly obvious, is Hard to Handle. Okay, And it was actually the third single from that album. Uh, it followed Twice as Hard and Jealous Again. When Hard to Handle was initially released, it stalled at number 45 in the U.S., that was in December 1990. But it was just as the group was rapidly gaining momentum. So singles kept coming from the album. And eventually, She Talks to Angels was released. It reached number 30 on the Hot 100 in May of 91, over a year after the album was released. Based on the success of She Talks to Angels, Hard to Handle was re-released. And this time, it climbed the charts to number 26. Uh, the song remains the highest charting single for the band. Uh, it is also the only cover song on Shake Your Money Maker. I don't know if our, our listeners are aware. Hard to Handle was actually an Otis Redding song. Uh, he wrote it with Alan Jones and Al Bell. It was released as the B-side to Redding's Amen uh, single, and that was shortly after the singer's uh, sudden death in 67. Uh, Redding's original recording appears on the 68 album, The Immortal Otis Redding, um, but his version never cracked the top 40, although it did reach number 38 on the R&B charts. The Black Crows, though, they turned the song into a rocker. Uh, they used guitars instead of the, the horn section, 
and they extended Redding's two-minute 18 song to a a much longer three minutes, eight seconds. And it is just, I mean, to this day, this is one of the most rocking numbers that I can give you from 1991. I I love this song. I, I can't get enough of it. Yeah, I remember at the time, of course, we were having those discussions about his Rock Dead. At the time, it was, it was a lot of MC Hammer, a lot of CNC Music Factory. Um, again, there was a lot of really, really good hip-hop and rap being made, again, not charting. Yeah, let's and, not forget to know. I'm Ives. talking, <laughs> no, I wasn't including, <laughs> I was talking about NWA and Public Enemy. I figured. And a lot of really good stuff that was being made. Um, Word to your mother. But, yes. but, but yeah, um, <laughs> just on the radio, which the radio was still a presence back then. Um, and then MTV, uh, MTV was just beginning to kind of um, genreify, you know, with 120 Minutes and Headbangers Ball and so forth. Right. But um, it just, like like we said, we bemoaned the fact that the, the direction of popular music seemed to be moving away from, from authentic rock. And when this became a hit, uh, it was very, very encouraging because not only was it really good, solid rock and roll this wasn't hair band stuff no. this was just you know in, in a way it reminded me of zeppelin in the way that it was very blues based oh yeah rock without music. question yeah no gimmicks just really 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 good rock music and so that's a great choice to start out with yeah and no, I, I love the crows and um yeah you know they've turned more into a, a almost a jam band now uh if you i i guess i've not seen them live but i've been told by those who have that you know, it, they 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 just get on stage and they just jam. It's not even a a set up set list of songs necessarily. It's a lot of free form and just almost like the dead. I mean, mm-hmm. they just get on the instrument instruments and and let them take take them where 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 it goes. So, um, but yeah, no, they were fantastic and I I loved the song. Thought it was only appropriate to start with a banger. Yeah, so, that's great. There we go. Well, this next one will not will not be a match, apparently. And that is Groove is in the Heart by Delight. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> I, well, go ahead. I, I will save my comments for the end. Although officially released in 1990, so here's another example, the song carried over into the new year and made Billboard's top 100 singles of 1991. The song, and this is why I, I'm surprised you don't like it, Alan. The song is an explosive mix of, of funk, of dance tracks, of melodic samples, vocals, that has this kind of psychedelic 60 vibe to it that we really hadn't heard since, well, you know, the late 60s. Yo, 
To me, the song was a fresh and exciting break from the monotonous pop offerings of the late 80s and introduced me to the possibilities of mixing genres and eras and exposed an eclectic new direction in popular music. Uh, It doesn't hurt that the music video became a source of eye candy for young 18-year-old me, um, (laughs) making uh, the old feel, dare I say, hip. Okay. Now, in fairness, I may have misspoken at, at the beginning there. Um, it's not that I did not like the song. It's not that I don't respect the song. And certainly, I mean, you bring up excellent points. It, it does, you know, there is the jazz and the funk and the blues elements to the song. I just got so tired of hearing it. And, That's fair. That's and, fair. You know, it's a song, I mean, you would think DJing today that that is one that I could put on and it would bring people to the dance floor. It, it really doesn't anymore. I mean, you know, when people want dance music, they... they they tend to want today's hip hop. So, I mean, I don't even have the opportunity a lot of times to, to play, you know, that song, but in my mind, because that's, it's so far removed from me in my mind, CNC music factory delight, uh, you know, all of those bands, quad city DJs are another one. I mean, I, maybe it's just that I've not, you know, immersed myself in, in that music, in 30 years but I remember it all sounding alike yeah and that's fine you don't have to so, you don't have to like it well, no, 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 I, no but I'm, I'm just saying I, I give all music a fair sure, a fair shake sure. and you know wait until you get to our guilty pleasures uh, and, and by the <laughs> way I would consider this a guilty pleasure yeah oh absolutely yeah. In, in, in the sense that it's not my normal mode of music right it's just a lot of fun it's well crafted um, it, it, it does what it does and it does it well so, you know, I, I mean, I put it somewhere above ABBA, but I don't put it necessarily, you know, I mean, Delight is what, the, they were a product of their time, yeah, no. but they did what they did well, and for, like I said, 18-year-old me, it hit all the right buttons. Yeah. No, I, hey, I respect it. I, and why not CNC Music Factory? What's the difference? Okay. All right. I'll say what you said. I, I haven't listened to it in 30 years. Okay. And I'm thinking of there were two or, or three. Going to make you sweat. Yeah, uh, yeah. And what was the other one? Uh, oh, things that make you go. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. And then I'm also thinking there was also like like uh, other acts like, um, uh, was it Busta Rhymes? And Busta, no, Busta Move. I'm sorry. Busta Move from um, who? Oh, young, young MC. Yeah. There you go. Um, yeah, that's a good question. And so I'd have to go back and maybe give CNC Music Factory a, a, a listen today. And, and maybe I'm not being fair to that track. At the time, for whatever reason... Uh, maybe because I felt like the CNC Music Factory song was overplayed. It may be that they're very, very similar, and I don't like the one for the same reason you don't like the one. Is because for whatever reason that song was overplayed, and okay. and we were sick of it. Yeah, I well, I didn't know if you had listened through, you know, the the two more recently because in my mind they they just sound well. I, I guess. 
Um, style has to be part of it. You have to. You can't really separate the style in the in the age of MTV. No. Okay. So uh, it was probably because CNC Music Factory was just another pop offering. Yeah. It was just another step in the, in, in in like I said, the monotonous control of the late eighties, in, in my opinion. Um, whereas Delight was new and fresh and different and quirky and and a combination of a lot of different things, and I think that's what it. Why I, you know, musically, sonically, it may be very similar, but yeah, it was just it was it was so different in the sense that they took these different elements and kind of shuffled them together and came up with a hit. Okay, no, that's fair. I mean, I, you know, there are other songs of the era that were dance tracks that I, I remember and loved, like Unbelievable. Um, oh, I hate that. I, really? That's one that I can't, oh my, oh, oh that, I, I'm, I'm, I'm... Really? Okay. The fact that you even brought that up now, it's going to be in my head for no, the rest Unbelievable, of the Cantaloupe was another uh, one. That, that uh, one was very jazzy. Um, I, I don't know. I oh, just, yeah, no, that, yeah, I know what you're but, talking about. Uh, Okay, no, fair enough. So we both have to uh, reintroduce yeah, ourselves I like to some music. I, I, so much of this is just personal. Well, it is. Personal. Well, that's what we do. So right. I will say, though, that it's very fitting, and I'm sure that you know, for the nostalgic out there, those that remember 91, they're very happy that you included the song. So. The first song I thought of when you said 1991. It wasn't really. Yeah, well, yeah. Okay. Well, the first song I thought of is my number two. Okay which probably says quite a bit about me then and probably still a bit about me now. Uh, In 1991, folks, an Australian rock band had fans proudly singing a song in which they boasted about touching themselves. We have a match. We have a match? We have a match. Okay. I'm talking, of course, about the Divinals and the lead single from their self-titled fourth album. Uh, Like my first selection, this song was also released at the end of 1990, but it did not climb the charts until the new year. Um, the song, of course, is I Touch Myself. It peaked at number four to become the band's biggest hit in the U.S., and it was quite an unlikely one when you consider the subject matter. Um, it was certainly not the first song to touch on the subject of female masturbation. <laughs> nice pun. Uh, you like that? Um, it was preceded by several others, including Cindy Lauper's similarly-themed single Shebop in 84. Uh, but apparently but, not. Apparently not. Billy Idol. No, not per Billy the Idol. last episode. Exactly. Yeah. No. Um, but I touch myself remains the most obvious of all songs uh, recorded and released uh, on on the subject. Uh, surprisingly, it slipped right by the censors. Not just here, but around the world. Nobody banned this song. But it probably I, maybe it was just because it was so lighthearted. I don't. I don't know. Uh, the Divinos, though, they were a band. But it is lead singer Christina Amphlett that listeners remember. It's her face in the video. It's her voice repeatedly telling us, I honestly do, at the end of the song, just in case there was still any question about whether or not she self-pleasured herself. Um, sadly, Amphlett died from breast cancer and multiple, multiple sclerosis in 2013. She was only 53 years old. Uh, but her association with this song lives on today in a way that some fans may not realize. Uh, Amphlett was passionate about spreading awareness of the importance of early detection and wanted the song to be adapted as an anthem for breast health around the world. Uh, Her dying wish was that I Touch Myself would remind women to perform annual breast examinations. So 12 months after her death, a group of female Australian musicians created the I Touch Myself project in honor of Amphlet with a mission to create educational forums to remind women to check their breasts regularly and to take action if there were any changes. Uh, the female artists actually, I've never heard this, they released a new version of I Touch Myself 
each providing their own interpretation and distinct style to the song. Uh, I looked at the names. The only one that I was familiar with was Olivia Newton-John. Hmm, right, um, that makes sense. Wait, yeah, but um, yeah, it's several, and I, I guess they, they're probably incredibly popular in Australia, or at least they were at the time. Uh, the single was credited to the I Touch Myself project, so had to look it up. Uh, then in 2016, the I Touch Myself project partnered with Berlay to create the Christie Bra. Uh, it's a bra to remind women to touch themselves when getting dressed, and a Christie post-surgery bra, which uh, was is a, a rock and roll-inspired bra designed specifically for women who have undergone breast cancer surgery. Um, the project is still alive and well, and celebrities from around the world have since joined in. In fact, in 2018, Serena Williams recorded the song and posted her version on Instagram. It became the most retweeted post, the most talked about campaign on Instagram, and the most watched video during International Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Um, but, you know, all that aside, I remember 18-year-old Alan, I loved this song. I, 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 not only is it a rocking number, I mean, the Divinos, give them some credit. This is, this is a rocking tune, but, I, you know, it, it was just, it was a taboo subject that was broadly accepted, and I kind of liked that. It was, it was fun. It was fun in a time uh, where... You know, we were on the cusp of adulthood, and it was kind of liberating to know that, you know, songs like this were out there and, and readily available. Of course, we did not know what what music had to store for us 30 years later. I love myself. This song was was a it was a game changer. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the racy lyrics, I guess, as a bonus, it, it, it wasn't to me. And I suppose some people saw it as almost a novelty song. I never saw it that way. No, like the lyrics themselves were, you know, sure they were they were kind of pushing the limits of what the censors would have said appropriate at the time, uh, talking about things that, that generally people didn't 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 talk about. Um, but one of the themes that I'm going to kind of bring up, and this is a good example, and like I said, we have a match here, um, is that the um, <clears throat> new wave alternative music um, that I really got into, and I think you may be a little bit, bit later. I think we talked about how you introduced 
introduced me to the oldies and right. I introduced you to some of that um, alternative from the 80s. But um, it, it, it never went away. The new wave kind of turned into what we called alternative, which kind of turned into they, they called it at the time, you know, modern, modern rock. And it, it kept knocking at the door uh, during the late 80s. And you had some bands that saw some commercial success in the late 80s, like R.E.M. and The Cure. But really, that was going to kind of merge with and kind of mix with some of the harder, you know, hairband metal rock type stuff, which, which eventually would, would lead to grunge. But you had these pop tunes that um, were really in the spirit of that tradition. And this is one of those. It's kind of a, a post-punk indie modern rock track that charted and so again going back to a lot of the music that was on the radio at the time wading through the cnc music factory and the young mc and and the vanilla ice to hear a song like this and to this day i think it holds up it's, oh, it's, it, it's timeless yeah it really uh, is sonically yeah um but yeah <laughs> lyrically um i had on my notes i, I jotted out somewhere between my dingling and wop that in itself is quite the uh, my dingling is the most innocent song ever recorded. Um, well, well, yes, obviously, but. you know the novelty being that it's right, you know, right, right, the, right. But um, yeah, well, you know, I touch myself. I do. I remember it being so taboo then. Yeah, you listen to the lyrics today, well, yeah, and there right. is nothing there right. that should even raise an eyebrow. But um, I don't know. In '91, it was it was a pretty sexy thing but you know that aside you're right the, the song was just it was it was a fantastic song, song. so alright so there you go you get to go to your alternate list this may be the first time this season that you've been able to do that no I think last did, week did you did you have uh, the opportunity yeah, last week yeah I think we did okay I, I just remember it's been falling on me a lot so yeah well especially in the rock and roll episode right. yeah all right. So. All right. So, um, well, I was just speaking about how um, alternative music kind of continued to uh, push uh, and eventually begin to chart. Here is probably the best example of the 90s. Uh, you can, might say an earlier example from the same band that may have been a better example, The One I Love by R.E.M. There okay. Yeah. Uh, but I'm going to go with, um, of course, the, because we're in 1991, their 1991 offering off Out of Time, which, would, of course, is Losing My Religion. I figured you'd go with the big one, yeah. And um, Stipe, who, by the way, laid these vocals down in a single take. You know, Stipe is kind of an eccentric oh, guy to very, begin with. Very much, yeah. His lyrics are, for the most part, um, unintelligible. I always think about those you know, lyric sites now where you can look at the lyrics. And I, so I always mean to go and compare a few R.E.M. songs because I have a feeling they're probably not all the same. Because <laughs> um, uh, notoriously, I believe they don't publish their lyrics. I know on, on what was it, on, um, yeah, was it Green? I think they may have published one lyric from Worldly to Pretend. But yeah, that was just kind of their thing. And he kind of vocally. So it, it doesn't surprise me that he came in and he did this in, in, in a single take. But he made it clear in interviews afterwards that the song is not at all about religion. Uh, it's about obsessive love. Okay, the expression "losing my religion" is a Southern expression. Of course, they're from from Athens, Georgia. Right, is a Southern expression applied to someone losing their temper. And so the video in the video for the song is is a whole other thing, right? Um, Never understood the video. Well, you know, at all, at it, all. it's based a lot on you know romantic notions of past I think, paintings and. I mean, I, we could probably spend an hour talking about the video itself. It was banned in a lot of countries for being homoerotic, right. which that was not the intent of it either. Um, I'm sure there was some, you know, knowing what we know now about what, you know, Stipe was dealing with at the time and, and wanting to kind of be who he really was. I'm sure there were some some elements of, of that in, in the song and in the lyrics as well. But 
the, probably the biggest thing for REM fans uh, was the fact that Stipe always promised that he would never, ever, ever lip sync in a video, right? Um, you know, he agreed to do videos because he kind of realized they were a commercial necessity, but he wasn't ever going to lip sync. You know, you weren't going to see Michael Stipe doing Uptown Girl <laughs> dancing with a wrench in his hand. Uh, and yet he finally succumbed uh, and did... Um, he, uh, because it was a personal song, he agreed to lip sync. And of course, he famously lip synced uh, Everybody Hurts, which was right. a huge video yeah. uh, not much later. Um, as an REM fan, there are songs on this record that I like better, um, but I had to include this as it kind of represents that fertile commercial ground of that time. It was on my short list for forever. I mean, losing my religion, it, it's just one of those defining moments of 91. I just, I, I let it go in part because I was certain you would have it. Um, and two, I really, I, the song that I really wanted to include from the album was uh, Shiny Happy People. Um, just because I, to me, that one was far more, Joyous, I guess. Uh, I, I I enjoyed the song much more my senior year. Plus, it would have given me the opportunity to tell the world that you used to harbor a crush on Kate Pearson. So, what makes you think I still don't? Oh, there we go. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, come on. B fifty twos fans. Uh, yeah. There you go. Um, Since Cindy Wilson may have been, she was more the girl next door, but Kate Pearson had that. that she, real there quirky. was something. Yeah, there was something. There like, may be. She may appear. Yeah. On this list somewhere. Well, oh, cool. Well, I, hey, I love my redheads, so I. I she may appear. I, have no qualms with your with your musical or romantic tastes, um, but yeah, no. In the end, I let REM go because I just I knew that you would have it. So, and you did. So it is on our list and very appropriately so. Um, all right, my next one uh, again released in 1990. This is the last of my songs that actually was released the year before. Um, this one kind of came out of nowhere. Um, it is by the band Queensryche, okay, who is considered one of the leaders of the progressive metal scene of the mid to late 80s. Uh, they're often referred to as one of the big three of the genre, along with Dream Theater and Fate's Warning. Um, the band, they received worldwide acclaim after their 1988 album, Operation Mindcrime, which is often considered one of the, the greatest heavy metal concept albums of all time. But their follow-up release, which was titled Empire, released in 1990, proved to be their most successful. And it included my next song, which remains the band's only hit single. The song, of course, is Silent Lucidity. I 
release uh, of Empire brought Queen's Reich to the height of the commercial popularity. Uh, the song, it peaked at number seven. Um, and, or do I have that right? No, number nine. I'm sorry. It peaked at number nine. Um, it was written by Queen's Reich guitarist Chris DeGarmo. Uh, and the song tells the story of a person having a lucid dream. Um, by definition, of course, lucid dreams happen when you are aware that you are dreaming and can control parts of the dream. DeGarmo got the idea from a book he had been reading titled Creative Dreaming, which explained how to tap into your subconscious mind and make it like Leonardo DiCaprio in Inception, essentially. Uh, in an interview with Metal Edge magazine in 90, 1990, DeGarmo said that dreams tend to recur for me. Very often I have the same images and it's being used in therapy to confront the image in my dream. Uh, in a lifetime, the average person spends about four and a half years in a vivid hallucination of the subconscious. You're doing things like flying, walking through walls. It's so intense. People can experience incredible physical sensations during dreaming. So that, that was the impetus for the song, uh, what, what you know kind of inspired it. Uh, the song begins simply. It's just acoustic guitar and voice. And according to DeGarmo, it was not until the band was almost finished with the record, just in the last week of working on it, that they added the instrumentation of the orchestra. So I don't. for those of you that may not remember the song well, yeah, there is a full orchestra behind them, which is not something you typically find in a metal song. Uh, the band's producer, Peter Collins, did not want to include this song on Empire. He did not think it was well-developed. Uh, he did not think it would... Uh, service the, the the hardcore fans of the band uh he actually put his foot down at one point saying uh you should come up with another song you only have so many songs for the record i do not think this is the right way to go and it's probably for the best that collins was so demanding because that is what inspired garmo and his bandmates to really buckle down and not only finish the song but bring in the orchestration and make it into what it really is what it became uh, it's a beautiful song. I, I'm not a Queen Drake fan per se. Um, you know, I, I'm not not one to to even. I, I'm not going to suggest to anybody that you know. I know the first thing about progressive metal, but this song, I loved it then, and and 
you know, when I was making my list for this this episode, I I played it and for the first time in years I played it, and I had just forgotten. I mean, it is a beautiful number. And yeah, it, it's I, I, you know, I heard it and just immediately I knew this was going uh, on uh, our 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 episode. So yeah, released in ninety, but it it peaked at number nine in nineteen ninety one. Yeah, I considered, so. and I and I would hope that you would have it. Um, I like the song. Um, I wouldn't say that it's one close to my heart per se, um, but I did like it. And I don't know Queensrÿche, so I don't know if this is a good song that's representative of their of their sound. Yeah, I think I, sometimes it's unfair. It happens a lot, right? A band has one hit, right? And people associate the entire band with that. Yeah, my understanding is no, this yeah. is not characteristic of their music at all. But I, I don't. I'm not a Queensrÿche fan either. I just. You know. What I liked about it, very similar in the same vein as the Black Crows. If the Black Crows kind of was a return to a Led Zeppelin sounding um, music, um, Led Zeppelin sounding music that was charting, this is more of a Pink Floyd exactly. yes. um, sounding um, type of new music that was charting. So again, th- there were these glimmers of hope, right, in early 1991 with the Black Crows and with Queensryche that, and of course, and this is something we're going to talk about, um, if not this week, next week. Um, you and I... We're, we're very stubborn in our love for classic rock. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And when the newer music, when the whole kind of, quote, grunge revolution, which we'll talk about, what really wasn't an overnight revolution, but in a commercial sense, as far as MTV, it kind of was overnight. But when you take a look at, 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 at that, I think, especially working at the radio station, we balked at a lot of that new music. We did, yeah. Because the the station where we worked in, in college in Bowling Green was, was a classic rock station. And for the longest time, it stuck to, you know, what at the time, colleagues of our would have, ours would have called that like the dinosaur rock. Yeah. And that's what we were into. Um, and we were very, very defensive in <laughs> protecting that. Yeah, well, it was AOR format, yes. no, no less. Yes. I mean, so deep cuts were the expectation. Right. Yes, and so it would make sense that I would see everything through the lens of, oh, this could be the next Pink Floyd, or this could be the next Led Zeppelin, instead of thinking to myself, oh, this could be the next great band in its own right. right. So, yeah. yeah, Well, and you know, having been on the radio station, um, having been DJs on the radio, that helped to determine a lot of my playlist on oh, yeah. on side B. Me as well on yeah. side B, um, because a lot of the songs that are on side B, and you know, we'll get there next week. Of course, they were all released in '91, but some of them did not chart. They did not actually gain momentum until as late as '93. Sure, but they're on my list because at the radio station, we had them in our rotation yeah. long before they charted on the Hot 100. So, right. you know, to me, it is a 91 memory. Yep. But, but we'll, we'll, as I said, we'll get there next week. All right, your next song. Well, this one could be a match. I wouldn't be surprised. It is a song by Chris Isaac. It is a match. Figured, figured. Uh, but I had to include it. Uh, Wicked, Wicked Game from his album Heart Shaped World. Uh, although this song, talk about, you know, being recorded at a different time. This one was actually recorded and released back in 1989. Um, it did not uh, become Chris Isaac's first hit until being featured in a David Lynch movie. I love David Lynch. Uh, it was featured, of course, in Wild at Heart. Um, a Southern DJ and David Lynch fan began playing the record, and it eventually kind of spread. And, of course, then the record company realized it was getting a lot of airplay thanks to this DJ in the movie. And then it became one of the 100 best-selling singles of 1991. Yep. Uh, this song is probably on my all-time top 50. Oh, like of all time. Mine as well. 
The uh, the vibe of the twangy, chimey guitar intertwined with Isaac's twisting and turning vocal stands just about above every hit, I think, that year, as far as mm-hmm. may have been the strongest song. Uh, Isaac said, the song is about what happens when you have a strong attraction to people that aren't necessarily good for you. people they, they interpret the song as a ballad about unrequited love which as you said that that is not what, what the song is about at all um the song was inspired by a late night telephone call he received from this woman and they weren't a couple they weren't in a relationship but she would come over and they would enjoy you know casual casual sex call it what it is um but he had already learned from previous encounters that this was never a good thing uh, because the woman, um, you know, she she was trouble, essentially. In fact, he, he said uh, in interviews, um, you know, oh, my God, this woman was going to be trouble. She's always been trouble. So think fatal attraction, pet bunny boiling in a pot trouble is kind of what what is implied there. Um, so one night, again, she called and asked if she could come over uh, for a night of of casual sex and Isaac readily agreed okay but as soon as he hung up the phone he thought to himself why did I do this I need to stop doing this um, so as he, as he was waiting for her to arrive he channeled his thoughts about his remorse and agreeing to yet one more encounter with her and those thoughts kind of funneled into this song he wrote the song in its entirety waiting for her to arrive so to hear him tell it, she was not at all happy when she got to his place <laughs> because he was far more excited about the song than he was with her arrival. And when she got there, he insisted over and over that she had to listen to the song, had to listen to it, and even said these words to her. I love this. Honey, you are beautiful, but listen to this song. <laughs> so <laughs> I, the story itself, I, I, I love the story. You made a good involved. choice. Yeah. Um, well, then there's the video. Oh, yes, yes. Then there is the video, which, um, yeah, I'm not even going to attempt to describe it. Um, uh, it was, you know, Ansel Adams-esque in its black and white contrast uh, on the beach with a beautiful model and Chris, the luckiest man of 1991. So yeah. Go check it out on YouTube if you yeah. are interested. Yeah, it was uh, supermodel Helena Christensen, I think, was was who it was. But, you know, it, it notoriously, it still to this day makes pretty much every list of the top 50 sexiest videos. Yep. I'd, I'd say it's always going to be top five or oh, at yeah. the very least. But yeah, no, I, I was wondering if this one would be a match. Chris, I love Chris Isaac. I don't know how familiar you, you are with his oh, no, yeah. he's, collection. He's done a lot of great and stuff. And he, he is just 
he's rockabilly. Yeah. I mean, he is, you know, early, the early rock and roll influence. And a fine there. actor, by the way. He's, yeah, he is. He is. Very much so. All right. Well, I, I, we both get to go to our alternates list at least one time here. Um, all right. You, you done? I am finished. Yeah. All right. So my, my fourth selection. Uh, this one is by Mark Kahn, uh, who is actually an Ohioan. Uh, originally, this one was released in '91, and the song peaked at number 13. Uh, it was the first single from Marcon, who was discovered by Carly Simon in the mid '80s when she, when when he was with a 14-piece band that was called the Supreme Court. Uh, Atlantic Records signed him in '89, but the first attempts to record his debut album with Tracy Chapman's producer David Kesherbaum failed. So 10 months later, he tried again producing the set himself. And uh, it was finally released. Uh, this first album, his debut in 91, when Mark Kahn was, was at that point 31 years old. It was a self-titled debut album, and it sold, it peaked uh, in the top 10, largely thanks to the massive success of Walking in Memphis. Yes. Cohn uh, actually won the 1991 Grammy for Best New Artist, uh, beating out bo- both Boys to Men and Seal. Uh, he never, again, would match the, the chart success of this song. In fact, he is largely a one-hit wonder, which is really unfortunate. Uh, but his musical heroes, uh, like, like them, like Van Morrison, Joni Mitchell, Jackson Brown, he has remained a critical and artistic success as a songwriter, um, nonetheless. The song Walking in Memphis is one part memoir and one part history lesson. Uh, and taken together, the sum of its parts... Uh, according to Khan, is all spiritual awakening. Uh, he wrote the song, it, it's a true story, he wrote the song after traveling to Memphis to visit Graceland. Uh, while in, in town, he made sure to see an Al Green sermon, uh, but it was a trip out of Memphis along Hi- Highway 61, the Blues Highway, where the meaty part of the journey took place. It was in the desolate Delta, and he saw a sign that said Hollywood, uh, which turned out to be the Hollywood Cafe. It's a small diner and musical joint uh, in Tunica County, Mississippi. It's still there. Uh, in fact, I plan to stop there this summer. We're going to be driving the Blues Highway for part of our family vacation, uh, so I can't wait to see see this. Um, it was at the Hollywood Cafe where Khan smelled the catfish and encountered a black woman in her 70s named Muriel who was playing at the piano. And after watching her play a variety of spirituals and Hoagy Carmichael songs for about 90 minutes... He spoke with her when she took a break, and when she returned from her break, he was on right there in the front of the, the room singing with her, and, and from there, you know, the story just uh, kind of, well, I'll let this, the song speak for itself. Put on my blue suede shoes and I boarded the plane, touched down in the land of the Delta Blues, in the middle of the pouring rain. W.C. Handy, won't you look down over me? Yeah, I got a first-class ticket, but I'm as blue as a boy can be. Then I'm walking in Memphis, just walking with my feet ten feet off a beam. Walking in Memphis, but do I really feel the way I feel? Saw the ghost of Elvis on Union Avenue. Followed him up to the gates of Graceland. 
And I watched him walk right through Now security, they did not see him They just hovered around his tomb But there's a pretty little thing Waiting for the king Down in the jungle room When I was walking in Memphis I was walking with my feet Ten feet off a beer Walking in Memphis The lyrics, though, also detail the legacy of blues music in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, Walking with my feet, ten feet off of Beale, of course, refers to to Beale Street. Beale Street, this is where the young Riley B. King became known as the Beale Street Blues Boy shortly after he arrived in Memphis. Later, the nickname was shortened to B.B., and the rest was history. W.C. Handy, uh, you know, is referred to in the first, first verse. He's largely considered to be the father of the blues. Uh, the reference to blue suede shoes. The narrator even tells of seeing the ghost of Elvis on Union Avenue. That's where Sun Records is. And he followed him up to the gates of Graceland. Um, it, it, it kind of... Um, one thing that I do love is that when he says that the ghost of Elvis walked on through security, did not see him. That one is actually a reference to Bruce Springsteen. Yes, yes, when he yeah, jumped the fence. Because you know that fabled story, Springsteen right. successfully scaled the wall of Graceland because he was trying to deliver the king a, a song that he wrote, and Elvis, of course, was not home at the time. Um, there's Catfish on the Table and Gospel in the Air. That is a reference to Al Green, and it marks the dichotomy, according to Cohn, between secular and the secular and the sacred. Catfish is the standard blues metaphor for sexual intercourse. Therefore, Catfish appeals to the bodily instincts, whereas Gospel would be the intellect. The metaphor gains more credence because... Al Green allegedly renounced secular music. He gave up his musical career after being scalded with grits by a jealous girlfriend. So that entire verse is about Al Green giving up his musical career and then going into the ministry. Uh, Taken in total, though, Mark Kahn has explained that the song in its entirety is, is a journey to be baptized in the world of blues music. And man, I love, love this. I, I, I can listen to this song all day. I've never grown tired of it. And I, I vividly remember you heard this song before I did. Because I remember you came to me. It, it just I don't remember. We were in school at the time. But you came to me one day and asked if I had heard it yet. I said no. And you said, well, you've got to hear it because I'm telling you now, this is going to be the 1990s version of American Pie. I remember that. Do you remember that? I remember that. And, and, and in so many ways, you're right. I mean, it really is. It the focus here is on blues music, but it's, you know, it is all encompassing. It is just a fantastic number. Yeah. Well, we talked about memory and time slippage. And so I'm very embarrassed to say that uh, I had completely forgotten about this song. Really? Uh, or it would have been number one on my list. I don't know. It's not on my list. I, I totally, as soon as you said it, I'm like, I mean, it's, it's, it's easily the, my top three in my top three of that year. So I don't know how. I would have missed it. That's yeah, that's I, really embarrassing because yes, I was obsessed with this song in 1991, and yes, I declared it the new American Pie. And yes, if I recall, we sat at Denny's probably over coffee because we were too young to go to a bar and try to dissect <laughs> yep. the lyrics as you just um, gave us an example of. And yeah, I'm yeah no, 
Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm embarrassed you've put me to shame. I was not trying wow. to shame you. I, no, I'm I, saying, I'm just, but, but how I, does that happen? Yeah, how but, does this, I mean, it's, oh, I don't know. But wow. I, I will admit, I thought that one would be a match. Yeah. So, kind of should, kind It should have been. Um, yeah, this one. It's better than delight. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. You, uh, you know, this one, it's it's fourth on my list going down my, my track list. But hands down, I would say this is my favorite song from 1991. Yeah, this and Wicked Game definitely would be yeah, my, my top two. Wicked Game would be two. a close number two. Wow. So. Okay, well, great. I'm so glad that you brought that one back into my memory. All right. Well, I need to pick one from my uh, list and my alternates list because you chose. I touched myself. And so I did have enough alternates that I could go both side A and side B. I do, too. So yeah, I I should, too. it should work out here. I'm going to choose a song by a, a favorite new wave artist of mine, Elvis Costello. Oh, love Costello. He had a great, great album that came out uh, in 91 called Mighty Like a Rose. And he actually had a couple, I mean, he, he's, his whole career, I think, has been a positive note. But he had a couple there in the 90s that were really, really strong. Um, Elvis Costello just had this constant pace throughout his career, always experimenting, but never losing the magic. Um, in 1991, like I said, he released Mighty Like a Rose, which included the leadoff single, The Other Side of Summer. Remember that one? Yep. Uh, much of what I love about Elvis Costello is the way that he can deliver a simple pop song. And this is another great example. Um, in what seems like an effortless delivery, he presents this breezy Beach Boys homage that somewhat consoles the cynical, satirical set of lyrics. And not being a lyrics person, I'm sure back in the summer um, of, of 91, and this is kind of a nice transition between graduation and... Um, um, you know, college, I suppose. You know, because it is kind of a breezy Beach Boys homage, I'm probably listening to it as, hey, yeah, you know, this is a fun little song. Probably didn't spend a lot of time listening to the lyrics, not being a lyrics person. But uh, there are some scathing lines. And, and now I kind of look back at it thinking, okay, so this is really about kind of a response to the summer of love of 1968. I, I mean, I know the song, like, I can't, I don't remember it that well. Being on the, the other side of, of summer. What, what, like, give me an example. So here's a good example. See if you can figure out who he's talking about. Was it a millionaire who said, imagine no possessions? Ooh, okay. <laughs> See what I'm saying? Yeah. The yeah. other side of the summer of love, 1968. Right. Kind of this idea. I'm not saying that, that he was necessarily, um, Denouncing the idealism of, of the 60s, but I think he's making a statement. Here's another one. Who's this um, referred to? A poor little schoolboy who said, we don't need no lessons. Roger Waters, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's just this idea of you can't throw all of society's conventions out, right? There's, there's probably a, a, a middle ground between um, hmm. throwing out society and, and reforming society. Yeah. It's kind of how I see it. The sun struggles up another beautiful day And I feel glad my own suspicions
like I've not heard the song probably for 30 years. So yeah, I, I, I do not remember that, but yeah, you're right. Those lyrics are, Lennon's is fantastic. Yeah. And, and I know he is a, he's a fan of Lennon. I know, but he's been somewhat critical of, of some of his political stances. Not, not that right. Elvis isn't an activist in his own way, but he's, he keeps it pretty real. I think he's probably a radical centrist. <laughs> oh, without question. Yeah. Um, in fact, you know, he, there is a, a musical marriage that, that is just so, I, I would love to just sit in and, and hear a conversation between he and Diana Krall, you know, on, on the day-to-day, on the daily, because there's so much musical talent there in that relationship that it just makes me wonder how much they each influence one another yeah. in, in their musical yeah. stylings, but... Um, no, I do love Elvis Costello. In fact, he might make an appearance, uh, not on this podcast or or next week, but when we get to our our follow up, which is well, we already have a match because that's my favorite Elvis Costello song and one of my that might be in my top twenty favorite songs of all time. Really? So, <laughs> so if you want to pick so a can, different one, okay. So Allison was just dropped from my you list. You can give that okay. one to me since that's one of the greatest ballads right. ever written. Well, Allison okay. is no longer on my list. Okay, uh, so. All right. Uh, you, was there more? I'm sorry. No, no, that's good. I'm okay. good. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, my number five. Uh, this one, uh, again, released uh, first half of the year. We were in high school when this came out. Uh, this one is by Mr. Big. Oh. Okay. Hey. Now, I, you know what? I like this song. I, I it, call it a guilty pleasure. I feel so. I, I'm like. not trying to crap all over your choices. It's no. an emotional reaction. No, I know. I know. It's, it's I know. purely an emotional no, reaction. No, I get it. I get it. Uh, the song is To Be With You, okay? It was from the 1991 album, Lean Into It, and the song did hit number one. Uh, I think, and I'll stand by this, it is one of the great unrequited love songs of 90s popular music. Um, to Be With You by Mr. Big, uh, it, it has a true story behind it, and this is a story that I, I'm telling you, if we're talking high school, I can, this was, was, this was high school. Uh, lead singer Eric Martin, wrote the song when he was still a teenager, 16, 17 years old at, at his estimation. Um, it was written for a girl named Patricia Reynolds, and he had it he, he had it bad for her. Uh, according to Martin, the two were really, really good friends, but Martin was totally, totally enamored with her. And to, te- to hear him tell it in his own words, she was beautiful, smart, I mean, brains, beauty, break down the walls, made me crawl my belly like a reptile, direct quote. Uh, he, he was in love, but he was also parked permanently in the friend zone. And apparently he watched her go through boyfriend after boyfriend, and he realized that she misconstrued promiscuity for love. Still, he wanted to be her knight in shining armor. He wrote this song about how he would have done anything to be more than her friend and confidant. Um, so, yeah, I, just the story, I mean, Oh my my God, that's high school, right? I, I, I have memories of, of that exact situation. Uh, by the time he put the song together, though, he knew that he and Patricia were not to be, and he had a, di- a different motivation by that point entirely. Namely, he was trying then to impress his sisters, his older sisters' girlfriends. Um, but the song, you know, it has very spare instrumentation. It's mainly just a bass drum, acoustic guitar, and hand claps. Um, it's a key component of the song because it accentuates the heart-rending lyrics, I think. Uh, Martin's publisher partnered him up with David Graham, 
who was a songwriter and also the star, one of the stars, of the famed Beatlemania show on Broadway. He, he actually played Paul McCartney in Beatlemania. Uh, the cassette demo that Martin had made of To Be With You was in the folk vein. So when Graham heard it, he immediately thought of Lennon's Give Peace a Chance and its spare improvised percussion and group chorus. So Graham suggested they do something similar with To Be With You, and it worked, giving the song a distinct sound that, that draws out the story. Uh, Mr. Big, here's, here's something people may find surprising. They are not a one-hit wonder. I thought they were. This is the only song I remember by them. Their follow-up uh, was titled Just Take My Heart. It actually hit number 16. Um, but this is the song far and away that, that, that Mr. Big is remembered for. It's the only one to get enduring airplay. Hold on, little girl. Show me what he's done to you. Stand up, little girl. A broken heart can't be that bad when it's through. It's through. Fate with twist of both of you. So come on, baby, come on over. Let me be the one to show you. I'm the one who wants to be with you. Deep inside, I hope you feel it too. Feel it too. Waited on a line of waiting on a line. Just to be the next to. And again, this is not typical of their sound, which leaned toward harder rock. So I, you can check out, for instance, Daddy, Brother, Lover, Little Boy to hear, to hear the contrast there. Uh, when To Be With You saturated the airwaves, the audience shifted. Suddenly, uh, Mr. Big's audience was flooded with females, and this turned off some of their hardcore fans. But Martin still holds the song in highest regard. He says, I, I love the vocal. I love the production of the song. I love singing it every night. I've never felt like it was a curse at all because To Be With You is on, is on the lead-in to my album, and the album is like a smorgasbord of musical ideas. There are tons of variations on that record. So, you know, if, if like Dave, you have an emotional reaction to this song and you think... You know how I feel about oh, hair bands. I, I know, so. I know, but, but the point being... <laughs> it's not fair. You, but. I'm, I'm curious, if, because I've heard... I played the rest of the album in the last week just to hear it. It is actually... Pretty damn good. It may be. Like I, I said, it's unfair yeah. to, to judge a band yeah. by so one I'd, song. You know, I'd be curious to, to hear your, your thoughts on, on the rest of it. But yeah, and I, I had to include this. And, and if there's anything positive I can say about the song, is the arrangement. I did like the sparse arrangement of the song. Yeah. I just hated the melody. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Now, I, um, yeah, by no means was it one of my favorites. But I, I to me, I, this is just one of those songs I remember. It, it defined 1991, it was everywhere. And my I, my wife also made a pleading case that I included because she told me, quote, unquote, this was my jam. So this one is well, for Gail. She's going to really hate me. Isn't <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless, there we go. That's my number five, Mr. Big and To Be With You. All right. So you're up. Sometimes it's good to have it worked in the 80s. So there's, there's, there's stuff. Obviously, the early, there were great things about the 80s. 
We loved the early 80s because they were fun. But there's some really, really solid stuff, right? It wasn't all just fun, you know, new wave dance tunes. Right, yeah. Um, and here's a good example of what worked great in the late 70s, worked great all through the 80s, and then worked into the 90s, and that is Tom Petty. Oh, yes. Tom Petty is just a constant. He bows to no, no trends, all right? He's, he's in his own plane of the universe as Tom Petty, okay? True. And so I had to include uh, Tom Petty here in this list. Um, this song, Learning to Fly... I was wondering which one you went with. ...from yeah. Into the Great Wide Open, was written by his pal Jeff Lynne, from ELO, of course, and uh, was just another hit in the string of singles that were constantly released since American Girl, I think in 1976. Um, what can I say about this song? It's, it's, it's the exact opposite of something like Groove is in the Heart. <laughs> okay? Yeah, it is. It's the exact opposite. Uh, it's, it's simple. It only uses four chords throughout the entire song. Uh, but the melody soars. Excuse the pun. Now, some listeners assume that the song was about drug use. If you listen to the lyrics, you can see how some people felt that way. But Petty actually said it was a lot more literal than that. Um, the idea came to him when he was watching a pilot being interviewed on television. Uh, and the, the pilot simply said, you know, flying is really the easy part. It's the coming down that can be difficult. And, um, of course, Petty left us all too soon. Yeah. Um, and, and I, you know, I, this, it's strange. I'm going to get personal here for one, for one quick second. Um, you know, this, this song was played um, in a memorial for, for Petty. I remember at the time when a, a good friend of ours, um, Doug, uh, passed away, what, almost 10 years now has it been? Yeah. Yeah, um, you know, for whatever reason, music comes to you and it doesn't really make sense. And I don't, I mean, Doug was not a huge Tom Petty fan no. for any stretch of the imagination. Not, not that I... It remember. wasn't like I was listening to Tom Petty during that time period very heavily at all. Uh, but when I was, was mourning and kind of dealing with, uh, with that loss, um, this song came to me. And, uh, and I listened to it um, over and over and over again and just kind of thinking about uh, him and his spirit. And um, so... You know, this song was, was a good song in 1991, but it's become very personal for me as well. Well, it started out down a dirty road. Started out all alone. And the sun went down as across the hill. And the town lit up The world got still I'm learning to fly But I ain't got wings Coming down Is the hardest thing I see it, yeah. Now, I, I, I think of Doug often. And, you know... Once I'm on the committee for the 30th reunion, so you know, once we started talking that, it, it you know, immediately I began thinking high school and so much of high school, you know, Doug was Doug, Doug is like you know, just a part of every story we have, so yeah, it's it's I, I get it, and it's a beautiful song. I um, it's very fitting, you know, I, I thought about including Petty, um, I, I just I had to let him go. Sure, sure. Um, and, and the reason being, for me, largely, is because Petty is is timeless, like like yeah. you said. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, if we're really going to celebrate 
91 i i want the songs that no that makes define sense. define the yeah. era but I'm but not, i like sometimes i like the right. exception to no, the rule and, right and I, I love that you included it and uh, getting pri- I was not ready to get personal about Doug. I don't want to. I'm sorry. Yeah, I did. Well, no, I, no, I just no. sprung that on no. you. Well, no, and I, I didn't even have it in my notes. No, and, uh, I was going to talk about yeah. it, but and I well, and don't edit it out. I mean, it's it's a nice memorial. I, I just trying to move on. No, I get you. I, I, I get you. Know, last thing I want to do is break down in tears. Right, when right. We're trying to right. consolidate time. So. Yes. Right. <laughs> so. The other song, by the way, that uh, also at that time I listened to a lot was uh, "Further On Up the Road." Oh, yeah. from, from Bruce Springsteen, which yeah. is another my great one. Okay, your choice. Okay. Well, that takes me to the last of my selections for side A. I need to go to my alternates list uh, because my, not, my, my last song was Wicked Game. Um, this one, and I had it, I had it here. It was only going to be used for my alternates list for side A if I was able to. To, to include it for side A. Uh, it came out, this song came out just as we were graduating, actually. Um, and it, you know, there, I can't think of a better way to end side A. I, I you know, we'll, we'll determine that when we look at the songs that we have in, in total. But this one, I mean, it is just, it, it's beautiful. It, it is titled, It's So Hard to Say Goodbye to Yesterday by Boys to Boys Men. Boys to Men, yeah. Uh, from the 1991 album, Coolly High Harmony. This song hit number two. Um, the song was was a cover. I don't. A lot of people don't know that. Um, we're not doing a 1970s movies um, episode, at least not this year. We're doing an 80s soundtrack, but not a 70s. If we were doing the 70s, this would make my list. Uh, it was written for the 1975 movie Coolie High, uh, which was about a predominantly black high school, and in the film. The song was used to reflect the powerful emotions that many students feel when high school ends and they must move on. Uh, the feelings described in the song apply to anyone who must leave something behind. And it is often used at funerals uh, for that same reason. Uh, it appears in the funeral scene of the movie Lethal Weapon 3, which, I take that for what, what you want, but um, the original version, uh, it, you know, it's used... In the movie, Cooley High, um, it was sung by G.C. Cameron, who was a member of the Spinners before the group left Motown Records, and he stayed with the label as a solo artist. Uh, This 1975 original version hit number 35 in the U.S. So, Boys to Men, their their classic vocal group um, sound, um, their their acapella, it's it's so similar to the doo-wop groups of the 50s um, that often started singing in high school. And, you know, this was their second single after Motown Philly. It introduced Boys to Men as a Philadelphia group with a classic, very, very sophisticated uh, early rock and roll sound. And the marketing was authentic. It worked. The group scored uh, five number one hits in the 90s, and it established them as one of the top vocal groups of all time. They quickly became more famous than their mentor, Michael Bibbins, who was a member of New Edition, and Belle Bib DeVoe. I mean, Boyz II Men, they, they were at the, the top of their game. Uh, they dedicated performances of this song to their manager, Khalil Roundtree, after he was murdered in Chicago when the band was on tour with MC Hammer in 92. Um, but in America, this is the second biggest a cappella hit of all time. You know, the, song, the only one that... that uh, sold more copies and, and charted higher because this, this one charted again at number two. There's only one acapella song that... Give me a decade. 
eighties, late eighties. Late eighties. Yep. Oh, Luca. No, not Luca. No, Luca has instrumentation. Does it? Yeah. Okay. What? Don't worry. Be oh happy. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Bobby yeah, McFerrin. Yeah. That makes sense. His is the only uh, acapella hit that outsold and and overcharted. Uh, it's so hard to say goodbye to. Yesterday. I'm thinking of Tom's Diner. Yeah. Um, which later was remixed with a dance track it might, with Susanna Vega. Yeah, it, it might make my... Because that song, I believe, was a cappella, yeah. but not the charted right. version. Well, uh, Tom Steiner might make an appearance on side ah, B. Ah, okay. Maybe, yeah. maybe. Um, but yeah, according to the group, um, one last note, they, they, they really had to push Motown to release It's So Hard to Say Goodbye to Yesterday as a single. The label did not think that radio stations would play it. Hmm. Um, but you know they they proved Motown very wrong. How do I say goodbye to what we had? The good time that made us laugh. I'm Two, and I, I was saving it. If I used it, I wanted it to be the last one because side A ends with our graduation. So I can't think of a more fitting, fitting song. All right, excellent. So. All right, so I have one more for side A, um, and I'm just going to go through um, probably my alternates for for side A. Okay. You know, just uh, yeah. I suppose I could have done that as well. No, and you're so welcome yeah, to do that. Yeah. But um, actually, the only other song I think that would fit on the first part, um, and you know, I, I could have easily chosen this as much as the Elvis Costello song. Um, maybe I should. Yeah, well, yeah. it's the Unforgiven by Metallica. And okay. You know that I am not a metal fan per se, but Metallica for me was one of those bands that really, and I'm not a mega fan by any stretch of the imagination. I like Metallica. I have all of their albums, but I'm not like a mega fan. But when I when I kind of went through my hatred of hair bands through high school, I kind of lumped them in with all of the other ones just because, you know, I saw the T-shirts. And, you know, when I finally, someone introduced me to, like, For Justice For All or, or Master Puppets, one of those, and I was just floored. I'm like, wow, this is this is really good stuff. You know, it's really, really hard. No, it's raw. It's is good. Unforgiven the song you're going with? Yes. Okay, we have a partial match oh okay okay partial match okay well we can on side b okay all right we'll talk about that then yeah but, so this but, is good we can but go with it yeah no go ahead um but um but you know i've learned i learned with the whole t-shirt thing you know bands like iron maiden and, and bands like metallica uh really um even megadeth uh, were, were to me a lot more credible than Poison, Motley Crue, those types of bands. So yeah, send your hate mail my way. Anyway, I, we, you know we talked about our, our very close friend Doug. I'm going to talk about our very close friend Tad okay. here. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and I could you know, tell you a, a million stories, uh, but this one I remember um, the self-titled Metallica album, um, also referred to as the Black, Black album, album. Yeah. Uh, with the the snake from Don't Tread on Me, yep. kind of barely barely visible on the cover. That album 
when that album dropped in 1991, I think it was in like August. And, it, and my memory can be a little fuzzy here, but our group of friends, and I also believe a group of, of um, girls from a neighboring high school, which several of us were dating some of them, there was kind of a thing going on there that summer. Uh, we took a, a road trip down to Columbus. There's a lot of stories we could tell about that, including going off the side of the road and and uh, in handcuffs. But anyway, that's all. Oh right. yes! Oh my good lord! I <laughs> anyway, about that. Anyway, yeah. if I have my my memory straight, right? Um, Tad uh, purchased this cassette uh, the day it was dropped and, and 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 played it on the way down. And I think I think for the entire trip. I mean, it's about two and a half hours, but I remember listening to the album a couple of times. And, and that may have been the moment where I, I said, wow, like, this is this is really solid. You know, at first when, when and, and, and Tad isn't a heavy metal fan, so no, it kind no, of not, surprised not, me. Not per se. Um, no. but, uh, but, boy, he convinced me, he convinced us to listen to it, and uh, I became a fan at that moment. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to at least talk about that. Um, the tra- this track is actually inspired uh, a sequel and a, and a third sequel. Um, there's The Unforgiven 2 and The Unforgiven 3 and... and, and no, albums that follow, all of which are very, very good. And if you listen to them, um, you know, in, in a row, kind of almost like a symphony of uh, different movements yeah. of this idea. So, um, yeah, I just wonder that that's that's the alternate that I'm not going to use. I'm actually oh, going to go not, with it. You're not going to no, use No, I'm not it. using that. Sorry, that was oh, my okay. alternate. Okay, you're not. Okay. I'm not. That, not. Uh, okay, then, a, we, then we do not have a partial. I'm going to use a much, <laughs> a much lesser song for whatever reason. <laughs> um, and I'm going to go with. Ordinary Average Guy Okay, by Joe now, Walsh. Tana, I love Joe Walsh. I love Joe <laughs> But you're going with Ordinary Average Guy over The Unforgiven. I mean, it's up to you. I'm not, I'm not well, trying to no, push but you, it, but it, it, I, if you go with Unforgiven, we're going to have to have a, yeah, a so face-off anyway. But Yeah, it's, yeah just pick your, pick okay, your Metallica okay. song. You so, can see that all settled. All right, well, you go pick up the dog do and hope that it's hard. Okay. <laughs> Joe Walsh returned to the scene with a new album in 1991. I do, I do love this song. Although he will never return to the top of the charts like he did with some of his earlier singles in the 70s, he still released some some solid music over the years. The albums were, were you know, inconsistent. Some some good stuff, some, some stuff that was a little bit weaker. Um, but the song Ordinary Average Guy is the inverse to his late 70s hit, Life's Been Good. It really is. And something about Joe Walsh, if you know Joe Walsh, um, he has a, a sense of humor, and he never really takes himself very seriously. No. And uh, Life's Been Good is a great example about that, of, of a rock star that uh, is kind of oblivious to his own excesses. And, and this is the opposite in the sense that this is a um, normal, average, Midwestern, middle-aged man just doing what he does. And um, it was it was co-produced uh, with Barnstorm member and Canton native Joe Vitale, uh, who hung around the same circles in the uh, early and late '70s, right in oh, well into the '80s as well, writing and playing with the Eagles and Crosby, Stills and Nash and other rock contemporaries. And uh, and Joe Joe and Joe kind of became you know production and writing partners for all of Joe Walsh's um, you know late 80s and, and albums uh, he probably had a handful of them oh, yeah. in that time period but I just love the song because it's an unabashed satire of Midwestern life and Boy, it's uh, so spot on I can really it, relate it, to it now yeah it's spot on <laughs> even though I don't bowl regularly um, you know it's just I'm, I'm that ordinary average guy right as, as, as most of us are
I got an opportunity to actually see Joe play this summer. So the same time he was touring for this album, and he played um, at the Pro Football Hall of Fame, um, not actually as part of the festivities, but he played at the Palace Theater. I remember you telling me this story during that same he, weekend. He, he, I, I remember. Oh, okay. I'm going <laughs> to well, let you tell two, it. Two things I remember. Yeah, yeah. Two things I remember. One was I took my date at the time, a um, uh, a young lady that I just started dating, who is now my wife. And uh, we went and um, sat in the balcony of the Palace Theater, and uh, she uh, was not a Joe Walsh fan. Well, she's still not a Joe Walsh fan. <laughs> so the fact that she went and, and just attended that show with me shows that we were meant to be. There you go. Um, but afterwards... She survived Rocky Mountain way. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so afterwards, um, you know, Palace is not a big place, and, and I wanted to, to meet Joe. And... Um, uh, I, I, I'd met Joe Vitale a few times and, and actually I knew his son too and so I was hoping that maybe I, got, I would somehow see one of them backstage and be able to meet, meet Joe Walsh um, he happened to be coming out of the side door and there was a limousine and uh, it was the strangest thing because I looked at him and I said hello and I went to shake his hand and he looked at his hand and he had blueberry pie filling <laughs> dripping from his fingers he was, he was quite intoxicated I think at the same time yeah. he just looked at me and said um kind of in a Jeff Spicoli kind of way, uh, I got in a pie fight backstage. <laughs> and then he, he tumbled into the limo and, and left. So that was my experience meeting Joe Walsh. <laughs> hey, one up on me. I never met That's why I had Never include. met him, nor have I ever tried to shake hands with anyone with blueberry <laughs> filling on, on, blueberry pie filling on their on their fingers. So, um, yeah, I remember you telling me that story. That's hilarious. Um, no, that's, I do love that song. And, you know, it was, it was never on my short list. But when I made, when I started, I always start my list by just writing down every song I could think of. And I mean, for 91, it was not as long as I thought it would be. But Ordinary Average Guy was one of the first that I thought of. But it is. I mean, the satire is so, I mean, it's just, it, it's my life. You know, I don't, I don't <laughs> bowl. I, I, I enjoy bowling, but I don't, I don't bowl either. But, you know, everything else in that song is spot on. So, um, no, I, I'm glad you included it. I'm just surprised you're going with that over, over The Unforgiven. Um, but, no, very cool. I like it. All right. So, well, that's all I have, and I think you all uh, also have your. Um, well, I I can name. Yeah, well, yeah. Name your. Yeah, I'm. I can name the. T- I had two, two. Let me see. Yeah, just I had two more because I already gave you um, boys to men. Two more alternates that were first half of '91 specific. One is by um, the Swedish band uh, Roxette, and I was going to go with Joyride. I'm glad you didn't. <laughs> I see. I love. I love Roxette. I can't help it. It's a, it's another guilty pleasure. One hundred percent. This shows you the pleasure. musical golf between my now wife back in '91 because I'm listening to Joe Walsh and she loved Roxette, and I said, "Boy, we got a ways to go." <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Ouch. Um, no, I mean, I'm, I'm not a huge pop fan, but I I do love. You know, a lot of that I'll blame on my wife. And I'm not throwing her under the bus because I like Roxette, but she loves Roxette, uh, so she—it's kind of, you know, rubbed off on me a bit because she, she went through a phase where she played them constantly. But uh, "Hello, You Fool," "I Love You," you know, "Come on, Take the Joyride." The song's actually in part uh, inspired by by Paul McCartney. Well, which, they're earworms of the worst kind. Oh, oh you are. <laughs> 
Come on, Pretty Woman, you know, the soundtrack. You're not helping. Must have been love. You're not helping your case. Sorry, not even a Julia Roberts fan. Okay, oh, Well, Julia it. Roberts is one thing, but all right. All right. Anyway, that was one. Dave, yeah. you are harsh today. I'm you're just, sorry. You're, I'm, man, I'm you're, such a you're snob. coming out. I'm such a snob. Oh, I am too. Just wait. <laughs> so I think that's probably come out before. But um, anyway, that was one. The other one, uh, they were both female vocalists, actually. The other one was by Bonnie Rayet. Uh, and it was something to talk about. Yeah, great time. Good song. Um, which I love the song. Um, I loved the album. It was from Luck of the Draw. Um, just like the album that preceded it, Nick of Time. I mean, the that late 80s, early 90s uh, era for Bonnie Raitt, it was strong stuff. Um, because Bonnie Raitt, I mean, she was, you know, she's been performing since the, the early 70s, and she was primarily a blues guitarist. Um, but something happened in the 80s where she just, Finally, after years of, of paying her dues, you know she she went mainstream and and man she hit the charts and she stayed there and something to talk about. I've just always I love the song. It's just it's it's incredibly optimistic. It's uplifting. It's 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 just a happy, very happy love song. Um, and it's up tempo, uh, which is you know nice as well. Uh, love the song. Had to had to move it to my alternates and of course now it'll not uh, make our our list proper but we'll make the alternate list but yeah those were the two that i had left for early 1991 so right, well we will deliberate and we will come up with a side a which now we have established thanks to the last episode is subject to change yes depending on our picks for side b but we'll at least put together a side a for you to listen to um, this week until we complete the entire mixtape next week um, we'll be right back and we're back, and we have come up with our list that is subject to change based on side B, which will, of course, come next week. So we thought, <laughs> and like always, this can present somewhat of a challenge when you have some really eclectic choices and you only have 12 songs in which to sequence. Uh, but we're going to begin with Hard to Handle. We thought that would be a good song to kind of jump out with. Yeah, either that or Groove Within the Heart, but um, your Groove is in the heart. But we thought we'd keep them together since they're kind of both right. good intro songs. Well, and you know, if you're for those out there that want to make a mixtape, because there's a it's, a, it's very different than making a playlist. Always, this is my recommendation. Always, you begin with a bang. Yeah, I mean, sure. You always want something up tempo and Certainly. infectious to to kick off your your mixtape. And yeah, hard to handle. And groove is in the heart. Both are great choices. So after hard to handle and groove is in the heart, we have the other side of summer by Elvis Costello. Going into I Touch Myself by The Vinyls, and then Silent Lucidity by Queensryche. Then To Be With You by Mr. Big, going into Walking in Memphis from Mark Cohn, which I somehow forgot about. Learning to Fly by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Losing My Religion from R.E.M., Ordinary Average Guy by Joe Walsh, Into the Great, Great, Great Wicked Game by Chris Isaac, and Leaving Our High School Years Behind with It's So Hard to Say Goodbye to Yesterday by Boys to Men. It's a solid list. I, yeah. We may not have to change a thing. I, I, I like it. Um, the only thing that's kind of questionable, really, I mean, musically, tonally, would be uh, the first two. And, and we might find that. a new place yeah, for Black, Black into Groove is in the Heart. Delight. But, I, but well, I, I know for sure there are some in my list that will fit nicer. Well, and yeah, I, I can think right more now. more nicely with that. Yeah, right now I can think of two on my next list that would go really well with delight as well so that's our tentative side a okay and i you know i like it i i think we 
It's it's a fair representation. Um, I mean, folks, there there are a lot of pop tunes, heavy pop tunes from that first half of the year that we did not include. Uh, Everything I Do, I Do It For You by Brian Adams was the number one song of the year. I just could not bring myself to include it. I, it's you know I love Brian Adams, but whew, that song, and and uh, plus it goes on forever. It's like a six minute song with like a almost a full minute break that that is just there's well, no solo. It, it, there's it's it just was for the Robin Hood movie, which was equally as bad. Yeah, with Kevin it, Costner. It really, what, I, I, don't it, get me started on Kevin Costner. I, I, I have my hangups. You know that I just realized that. <laughs> but you know I. I there are there are movies with Costner I love. Dances with Wolves was Dances good. with Wolves, uh, Field of Dreams. For and, Love of the Game was good. For Love of the Game, well, and Bull Durham. God, I yeah, love, no, the love baseball trilogy is good. But but yeah, and uh, he was the worst Robin Hood. <laughs> it's just, but I will say one thing that that movie had going for it was Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio. Yeah, yeah. Oh, she was yeah gorgeous, beautiful maiden Marion. But uh, yeah, we did not include that. I, there were a lot of. Uh, a lot of songs that we did not include, and of course you already heard Dave Balk at at least one of my alternates that did not make the cut, so you don't have to endure Joyride, I Thank suppose. Thank goodness. But, um, I might have had to quit the podcast over that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay, on that note, um, we, we want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Jay Callahan Painting. Um, she is uh, a great great friend uh, and, and amazing at what she does. If you need anything painted, uh, she's in the greater Cleveland area. She will service any painting needs that you have. Uh, you can find her on, on Facebook. Uh, please, you know, look her up uh, and let her know that Alan and Dave sent you. You heard about her from the Gen X Mixtape podcast. Um, but that that's that's all we got. I mean, we're done with side A. You know, so, I, I think Dante got it wrong. Instead of saying, abandon all hope, ye who enter uh, on the entrance into hell, I think it was the cover of a Roxette record. You really do not like Roxette. Okay, fair enough. All right. Uh, with that, folks, we will see you next week with Side B, uh, where we will enter college. Yeah. Well, we, we got the summer. We do now. have the summer. That's true. Yeah. And I, I have some summer was, tunes before we actually make the leap. But right. uh, yeah, no, it's, it's a different different game next week so all right folks hot funk cool punk even if it's old junk another mix of memories awaits next week but for now press pause lift the needle and hit eject and we will see you on the flip side (laughs) 